Welcome to the People Impact Podcast, because your impact on people matters. We are two visionary coaches exploring ideas about improving the way people lead and work together, bringing you topics that truly have an impact on people in your organization today. This is for you if you're interested in expanding your perspective on people and on yourself as a human being. For all of you out there who are open to new views, visions, and dreams. Featuring Lisa Dempsey. Hello. Lisa, uh, my name is Marjolein Vlug, and we have a guest today. Um, her name is Elle Michelle Smith, and she's here to talk about leadership and about positive emotions and about getting to where you want to go in a great way. Um, and I'm so looking forward to this. Could you please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a bit more? Certainly, Marilyn. Thank you so much to you and also to Lisa for having me. I am excited about being here and hopefully your listeners will get something that will enrich their lives and leadership as well. And even their coaching if possible. Mm. So I am a certified executive and personal coach. My training is in applied positive psychology and neuroscience. And I use those tools to enhance my coaching so that it's evidence-based and we are able to engage strategies that will push them forward and have some data behind what we're doing. <laughs> I'm also a three-time author, best-selling all three times. My latest is Yes, Please, Seven Ways to Say, I'm Entitled to the C-Suite, Secrets Women of Color Need to Know Now to Find Their Happy and um, Thrive in an Exclusive Corporate Culture. That's number three in the series. That's fact, an excellent it's, title. <laughs> yeah, it's number four to be to be really uh, distinct about it. Uh. The first book I did not write, my daughter wrote it. She was eight years old when she wrote it. Uh, it's a children's book. And it's a companion to the first book, which was No Thanks, Seven Ways to Say I'm Entitled to the C-Suite. And her book is called No Thanks for Girls, Seven Ways to Say I'm Beautiful, Strong, and Enough. I'm also wow. a speaker. And I spend a lot of time in front of... Um, leaders at organizations and also conferences are, um, around the country, and I'm a certified facilitator. So I'm I'm very excited to be here with you, ladies. Does your daughter ever add stuff in to your speaking engagements as well? <laughs> she... My daughter is not interested in being out <laughs> at all. <laughs> in fact, I was just I, curious train left the station mm -hmm. when she said she wanted to write a book and mommy hired the editors and the, mm -hmm. you know the illustrators and such and for a while there she kind of shrank in her shell which is interesting but I understood from her that she kind of got some of the same things that we can get as women when you shine too brightly mm -hmm. sometimes people don't understand and she got that from some classmates that thought it was mm -hmm. it was weird that she wrote a book right mm -hmm. So we had to deal with those feelings. And sometimes as grown women, when we go into a space and we shine or we color outside of the box, we get that same thing <laughs> back mm -hmm. from folks who are much older than eight years old. And so we have to deal with those things. I'm so glad she's learning this early Yeah, because I didn't learn it until, gosh, 
oh gosh, my breakthrough came in my forties. Yeah. Yeah. Such a valuable lesson. And it's, you know, it's sort of that it's what's often called sort of the tall poppy syndrome, right? Don't stick out. Don't be taller. Don't shine more brightly than the people around you. Be careful, yeah. right? Especially yeah. as women. Yeah. Well, and especially in the corporate space, the word corporate means one body. Hmm. And if you're playing the game, you're supposed to blend in and dumb down as much as possible. But we know that leadership tenants tell the exact opposite story. Yeah. We're supposed to be authentic. And, and unique that, and individual. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about how this work came to you. Why Why is this work so important to you? What are some of your experiences that have, have culminated in the this fantastic series of books? Yeah, so um, your viewers can't see me, your listeners can't see me, but I am a woman of color. So it's a very personal experience um, to be the double outsider as um, the race ahead columnist, Ellen McGirt called us in one of her, columns in 2018, I believe it was. Um, that means that by race and by gender, we're the exact opposite of what is centered in corporate America, and that's white males. But I spent most of my career on the agency side, supporting many of these big brands. And as you know, creative agencies are a little bit different when it comes to hierarchy and also with the organization and the makeup of the leadership, you'll see a lot more women in creative um, agencies that do more communications and advertising. But when you get to the tippy, tippy, tippy top, you will see white men. Um, these days though, in the last two or three years, we've seen Women and women of color take on the C-suite in these big global agencies. Edelman's one of them. Um, we're seeing some in some of the other big agencies, Omnicom and IPG firms. But when I was coming through, the senior partner in my local office was a woman. And it was a great opportunity to see this because she was a mom. She had kids at the time. I, I wasn't even married. I didn't have kids, but this was something to espouse to, or at least ask the question, is this something I want to be? Mm -hmm. So in this situation, I could actually see it. So there's this indication or trigger that makes you think, well, is this something I want to be? At least I could raise the question. As I moved along into the client side of things, um, the big Fortune 10 that I worked for, it was very interesting to see how women were positioned and also to see how women of color were positioned. When I was in agency, it was very hard to find a woman of color in the same office. I think I was the only one at that point, but we had a network of offices across the globe and we knew where the others were, Right. Um, and one of the agencies I worked for, Ketchum, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, late, well, late 90s, early 2000s, had uh, women at the VP level, Black women at the VP level and up. I happened to be one of them. I made VP before I was 30. And there were about six of us during that time frame. Again, 
very hard to find, but we knew where to find each other. When you go into an organization where I was working before at that level, it's interesting to see that there are numbers and you you will see that there are very well-dressed, well-heeled, well-credentialed, good looking. (laughs) I can't stress that anymore. Um, Women of color, people of color that are walking these halls, very well qualified above qualifications in some cases, Mm -hmm. but they hit a ceiling. I noticed that when you get to senior manager and director level, these ladies start to fall off. And my question became first, where are they going? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why are they? because I made senior vice president before I was 40 in these agencies and then shifted over to the client side and was expecting, especially at a company like the one where I was, that made it to the diversity top 10 at the time. I think we're like number three before I left and they made it to the Hall of Fame, uh, thought that they would be different and, and we would see more women of color. And the reality was we had two senior vice presidents qualified as officers in this Fortune 10. And when one retired suddenly, uh, they got one more, but they weren't in the C-suite. They weren't in the C-suite at all. (laughs) And um, I wondered what was thinning these women out. And I would, I'm curious, I'm I'm a former journalist and- (laughs) I have a question. I'm just going to find that answer. I'm going to wrestle with it. I'm going to um, look into it. I'm going to talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. That's just who I am. At the time, I was writing for Black Enterprise Magazine as a contributing columnist. And I started to write on career uh, topics and leadership topics um, while I was working for the Fortune 10. While I was at the Fortune 10, just to let you know what I was doing. I led the corporate communications capability for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So my team's job was to connect with those audiences from a marketing perspective, but also to tell the story of what the corporation was doing to enhance these communities, to connect with communities. So every business unit in this organization was essentially our client, right? We were going to tell the story of innovation. We were going to work with external and public affairs. We were going to work with the consumer side of things, the B2B side of things. And we were going to tell these stories. So one of my main clients, if you will, I call them clients because I come from an agency background, was HRDE&I. Mm-hmm. And they had access to the numbers. In fact, they were the ones that, of course, put together the diversity annual report. And they were the ones that, sought these awards and these placements on things like the Diversity Inc. Top 50. So I saw the numbers. In fact, that race ahead column that I talked to you about, my team was responsible for getting our chief diversity officer in that article, that very article where Ellen McGirt called Black women the double outsider. And she Mm -hmm. did that based on research in 2017 from Catalyst, and also from Women in the Workplace, um, which was McKinsey and LeanIn.org, that first gave voice and gave data points to what we were feeling as women, but had a difficult time expressing because people didn't believe us. 
-hmm. And that was that women, but especially women of color, have a tougher time in corporate America and in business because they are not centered. And that's because the corporate environment was not built with her in mind. So by race and by gender, we're automatically on the outside. And that raised a ton of questions for me, especially with what we knew to be true as leadership tenants that were just catching hold. One of those things was you need to be authentic. Mm-hmm. So my question was, how do you be authentic if we're othered and we're automatically rejected from an ecosystem that's not pre- prepared for us to be in leadership? The fact is that if we are our authentic selves, we are rubbing up against a corporate structure that by definition is one body. Yeah. So how in the world are we supposed to be our authentic selves and shine in an environment or a space that automatically spits us out? Yeah. When they're looking for white males, how can you be authentic and not be white male? It's very tough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and I'll continue talking. I don't want to talk the entire, but um, it raised a lot of questions. And I also wondered too, because it's happened to me, everyone has unconscious biases Mm -hmm. where you walk into a room and you automatically assume who's in charge. How often have you walked into a room and just assumed that it's the guy, it's the man. And then you're, pleasantly surprised to find out it's the woman. Well, in situations where people are marginalized or othered, it is assumed that that individual is not there to lead. They're there to do something else. Mm -hmm. And what we are taught and socialized is that certain people are there to be support that either they're going to be a junior executive or just an executive, or maybe they are administrative, nothing nothing wrong with being administrative, but this is how we get couched. Mm -hmm. Even if consciously they aren't thinking these things, when a woman of color comes into a room and inserts herself with the power and authority that Jim does, it gets under a lot of people's skin and not just white people. And I think this is where my work stands out a bit differently than some of the other works that are out there that explore some of the same issues. We get into in the first book, No Thanks, how privilege works and that there are all sorts of kinds of privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I'm standing in the quad next to the Alpha Kappa Alpha tree, oak tree at Howard University, I am centered. Okay. (laughs) I have a degree of black on that campus. Okay. And I know that you have a global, a global podcast and you're out of Amsterdam. So people may not be uh, very familiar with Howard University, but to give you some context, that's where Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris graduated. And Mm -hmm. she's also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha. I'm also a member of that sorority. 
So a few famous people have come through there. But I'm centered as a Black person at Howard. I may not be completely centered as a woman, but that's a whole different, <laughs> right? And <Nope>. it, <laughs> intersectionality, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. it, when I show up in corporate America, I only have so much privilege. I may have educational privilege because I have advanced degrees. You know, mm-hmm. um, Black women actually over-index with more advanced degrees than any other group in the United States. There are a lot of reasons for that. But here we come into these spaces overqualified. And because of something called the old black tax, and it's it's a colloquialism that we use as African-Americans, especially from the slave tradition, that means that you need to be at least two times better, three times better just to get into the room. So we have all of this going on. And when we walk in the power as a value that we pull from our communities outside of the organization. We say we have to lean out to lean in. Mm-hmm. We have to lean out to lean in to, to underscore our value and get those beautiful affirmations that may not come from ourselves, but other people who believe in us. And yeah. if we walk in that kind of power into corporate America, it really makes some people look twice and sometimes shudder, even other Black people, because it takes marginalized people to be a part of the othering and the centering. So it's not just white folks that look at us like, what is she, who does she think she is? Well, everyone's part of the system that believes Body certain is. things and that has certain biases. How does, right. how does, how does um, positive psychology factor in, in how you approach this? Right. So, so much of what I uncovered in my stories, mm-hmm. myself and also the women that I've interviewed, so much is, it goes on inside. The conversations that she has with herself in mm-hmm. these situations, the negative vibes that she internalizes, it all, it all happens inside. And it all happens in this nerve center we call the brain, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It happens in our, our heart and our soul too. Mm-hmm. It's not to put that aside, but so oh. much negativity beyond the negative self-talk and what people espouse to be imposter syndrome. And I, I like to put a, a, an asterisk there because the Wall Street Journal published an article in 2021 that gave voice to something I knew in the very depths of my soul. Mm-hmm. And that was, while it became trendy for every woman out there to say, oh, I have imposter syndrome, it did not make room for what was actually going in and some of the going on in some of the spaces where we were entering. Mm -hmm. Even if it was sexism or gender-based only, or if it was also gender and race-based, there are spaces that we go into, whether a word is spoken or not, we are automatically othered. Mm-hmm. And even if you've been told you need to be two or three times better just to get in the room and you know you are and you're overqualified, enough of that behavior or even words or even the energy that's in the room can cause you to doubt yourself. Yeah. And that's not self-doubt. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's no syndrome that's, that's coming from within you. That's from without. Very much from yeah. without. So often... Yes mistake what is happening in a room and and we internalize we're calling it imposter syndrome when 
that may not be it at all. Mm-hmm. So yes, <laughs> um, it's very. Well, I'll, I'll add a link to that article to the to the show notes, by the way, because it's very yes. powerful, and I think I've, I've shared that <laughs> a bunch of times in an earlier episode as well. But it's so powerful. Well, that's good. It will be in the show notes for this one too. It is. It needs to be, you know, that note needs to be driven home time and time again, because it's a form of victim blaming and it is not appropriate in many, many cases. Yeah. And we've really taken it on. Have you noticed over the last three, four, five years, women in general have taken on imposter syndrome like it's a flag Mm. and it's not always true, sis. I mean, <laughs> well, let's come to that with positive psychology and with, you know, and yeah. with truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes, it's happened to me where I, I knew I was prepared. I knew I was ready. I was more than prepared. But when I left that conference room, I, something just didn't curl over. And I felt bad inside. But because we are taught in corporate environments, here's one, this is a, this is one that we need to talk about. Always assume good intent. This is what we're told in political environments, especially in corporate. When you know what is this? No, you can't always assume good intent. because That's not always the truth. Well, even if the intent was positive, the impact isn't. It's still the, yeah. Yes. It keeps the corporate wheel turning. It keeps Mm -hmm. the status quo. And if you are to speak up, you are well aware that there could be ramifications. Mm -hmm. And to the largest extent, to your character, it could be character assassination, all the way up to career assassination. And we understand from the research that women and women of color are spewing out of the leadership pipeline faster than any other group led by black women who are the double outsiders. And I continue to say, if you can solve for the double outsider, you can solve for anyone because closely Mm -hmm. followed by them, other women of color, closely followed by them, white women. Women are spewing out of the leadership pipeline at a rapid pace. And they don't know how to plug it. And either we are being pushed out, we are leaving on our own, or we're being pulled out, which is something that we explore in Yes, Please. And that has to do with that home life that feeds into some societal norms around gender roles Mm -hmm. and what we take on when it comes to workload and also the, the children and emotional labor that isn't always a spouse or the responsibility of men. Yeah, there's so many hats that that women wear and and particularly women of color. And and it happens, I think, in so many societies. You know, I I also coach people from around the world and I notice Asian and Indian populations. I, I run a women's leadership program that has a lot of participants from those those areas. And it's incredible the amount of expectation that is placed on them yeah. simply because oh, yeah. of their gender. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of expectations placed on women of color, black, brown, white, 
but especially in communities where community is so important and family is the backbone of that community and the amount of guilt that can be unleashed on a woman who may be considering a geographical move, Um, you know, um, culturally, I'm a student of culture. So you'll see that culture is woven throughout all all of the books with cultural insights and nuances Mm -hmm. that sometimes women, especially if you're single, and this, this is covered in Yes, Please, can be guilted into taking on emotional labor for even the other generation of family. Um, you know, the mom, the, the dad. Yep. If they get ill, if your brother, you know, is single too, or if he's married, the expectation may not be as heavy on him to stay in the same city, to tend to the elderly, to, yeah. you know, pick up and move if you need to, to be there and help that former generation. Yeah. Well, there's um, even more on your plate. Yeah. Yes. Brown people can relate to this, mm-hmm. whether they're Hispanic or they're Asian. So Black. what can be done about this? What, what are the possibilities out there? Cause it's, you know, a certain point, and I know I reached this point in my career at a certain level, it feels hopeless. It feels like, oh my gosh, the cards are just so far stacked against me and other women, people of color. Oh, what can be done? Right. So, you know, I don't spend a lot of time speaking to the organization. There are a lot of warriors out there that speak to diversity, equity, inclusion. They do it well. They're holding these companies accountable. And I did spend, as you know, um, a a nice portion of my last years in corporate America actually counseling a huge company on these issues, right? And at some point, I looked to see when did diversity, equity, inclusion, multicultural marketing, all of that stuff start? And it goes all the way back to John H. Johnson, who founded Ebony Magazine. Mm. Uh, more than 50 years ago. And he was the first one to convince a big company that a segment of the population, and in this case, Black Americans, was a viable segment to market to. And that was the very beginnings of us looking at segmentation and understanding that there were differences between peoples and populations. In the 50 years or more that multicultural diversity, diversity, equity, inclusion. I mean, now they've added the belonging and they've added all sorts of other things, accessibility and such. We have not solved for this problem yet. It has not been solved for. So my question became, do I spend more time trying to tell people how to do it? And personally, I'm kind of worn out of trying to tell these huge systems that were not built for us what to do. At some point, there needs to be some accountability for the majority who actually set up the system and they know good and well why it works and how it works to fix it. In the meantime, I turn my attention to the leader. I say I'm like Nike. Nike's there for the athlete. I'm there for the leader. Mm -hmm. So my job is to share strategies with you on as a, a sign on my home office wall says, not just wait for the storm to end, 
but to learn to dance in the rain. That's what we have to do. And this is why I have focused in on happiness and positive emotion from a scientific perspective, because we know from positive psychology that happy people are successful people. I did a survey of 100 professional, high-performing Black women leaders and asked them if they were happy on their leadership journeys in mm -hmm. corporate America. 90% of them said no. Mm -hmm. That's a devastating number. They said everything but happy. They said everything but joy. They said, meh, that was the, that was the most positive thing. <laughs> I'm happy, okay? Yeah. Uh, the most devastating thing was I'm tired. And mm. many of them were saying they wanted out. Mm. Yeah. And that really does jibe with what we're seeing with folks spewing out of the center. So well, my- let's focus on happy, yeah. Yes, my mission- is to pick apart what women who have succeeded and success is defined by making it to the ENC suite mm -hmm. at these very, very large companies where the deck is stacked against her, but she still made it. And what I found is these women, even if they don't call it positive emotion, tapped into positive emotion to make it through. Yeah. What is, and this is a question that Lisa and I, when we talked about having you on as a guest, this is an immediate question that came up, which is rare because every other question just comes up in the conversation. What is something that um, everyone listening, especially when they're uh, uh, white women, white men, um, when they're in a room uh, or in a meeting or in a team, uh, what can our listeners do to and to reinforce that positive perspective? To bring, let people get to happy, to let, to work on that individual change. I mean, system yes. change. Yes, we, have, we we make episodes on that too. On that individual empowerment, leadership, and happiness. It's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. And the tendency is to look outside of yourself for someone to blame or to point to and say, they caused this. But science tells us that we are uniquely responsible for our very own happiness. And what can I as a white person, white woman, do for someone else to, to support that? To support that yeah, switch? absolutely. The work starts with you. Mm -hmm. Work starts with you just like the work starts with me. Yeah. And as much as, and you need this as a woman too, <laughs> a yeah. lot of this yeah. for you too. Um, and I think that if we begin to heal some of the past traumas, which is something that we don't typically look at as much as we do on our personal side, where we account for the things that have hurt us and caused us to shudder when this new opportunity shows up. Because we're 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 concerned. If you get hit by a Mack truck and you looked both ways before you crossed that street and you were blindsided and it knocked you out and hurt you so badly, what are you going to do when you try to cross the street again? You may not cross it. This is what we're dealing with. <laughs> mm -hmm. And for allies, of course, the other layer is, yes, 
use your privilege, jump in. But before we get there, <laughs> let's talk about this individual responsibility to heal. Yeah. And I talk about a, a concept called epigenetics mm-hmm. briefly in Yes, Please. And that actually takes us all the way back to past generational traumas. Mm-hmm. For those of us in America, it is traced back through slavery. Yeah. And that is not your own past, but all the pasts before that. It's not just for Black people who were slaves. Mm -hmm. It's for white people who were slave owners. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that we haven't dealt with. This is part of the reason why I've teamed up with uh, America's psychologist, Dr. Jeff Gardier, because coaching can take you forward and we can recognize that there are some past hurts, but that healing that needs to happen, that happens with a therapist. It's also values-based. So my mm-hmm. values happen to be faith, family, and freedom. I lean into my faith. My faith helps me out, okay? It gets me past some of these things and it allows me to find those peace builders is what I call them mm-hmm. that allow me to get to that calm mind. This is neuroscience. You must have a calm mind to get to focus. Mm-hmm. Focus is a requirement for insight. Insight is absolutely required for innovation and creativity and productivity. So when you have all of this negative stuff going on, if you can find a way to get to that peace builder, which is grounded in your values, this is the work that you have to do to dance in the rain. And combining therapy and coaching to get there is a, a powerful combination well, and I think you mentioned, you know, you used a really powerful word and that's healing. Right? Yes. Healing, healing your own wounds before you try to move forward, before you go out and yes. you know, get all muddled up in all sorts of messiness because it's so easy to start hustling for your worthiness. It's so easy to start getting defensive. It's so easy to go into all sorts of things that really don't help you. Right. They don't help right. you and where you want to go. And that healing is just, mm, yeah. I have Powerful. a mindfulness exercise that I share with my clients. And we typically break this out when we're trying to get them to move forward, whether it's for a new opportunity and they've expressed that they have some type of angst or fear. And what we uncover during the exploration is there's typically something or someone that hurt them before that's causing them to be stuck. And this mindfulness meditation that I share is focused on one of the most simple words that we have leveraged in our personal lives. But do we leverage it when it comes to career and work? And that's a word that's as simple as forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And understanding how that frees you has very little to do with the other person, but it does release you from them. And in this mindfulness and meditation, which takes about 20 minutes, it's guided. We walk you through the scenario where you actually meet the other person in a quiet garden. And you're able to say to them everything that you want to say, need to say, whatever it is, get it out. And just like the Marvel universe, you release that villain back into their universe. Thank you. 
And thank you for for adding that gem. I mean, that's that's very powerful. Sure. Yeah. And that's one of the actions that you can take, but it's very internal. Again, mm -hmm. this is personal work. And it's I, I appreciate that you highlight that. Hey, you know, there's there's super actionable tips and you can do this, but you know, that internal healing for every one of us um, is so essential. And thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for, yeah. leading, and, for leading and really us there. building new habits. Yeah. And that takes work. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. it's very rewarding work on so many levels. Thank you. And thank you everyone out there for, for listening. Um, if you appreciated this episode, and I'm pretty sure you did, then please share it with other people. And perhaps you've been listening to this episode directly online. You can share the link. And you can also find and send people to the People Impact podcast in your favorite podcast app. Uh, subscribe there to make sure that you're first to learn about our newest episodes. And do let us know your uh, feedback, your topic requests, and what is on your mind in the workplace. How you've been doing, what you've picked up from this, and um, uh, where you've taken it. Do let us know. And until next time, bye. Bye.